pray with me. God, thank you for this morning. I pray that you would um, guide our time as we uh, engage you, as we sit under your word, as we um, worship you now through listening and, and submitting to the truth of your scriptures. Would you engage our hearts? We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Um, kids can go ahead and be dismissed. As they run out, if you want to get to James, be in chapter 5. Okay, uh, James, chapter 5. Um, so, I, I hope on some level you came prepared to be challenged, because the nature which of the text that James is dealing with this morning isn't like this soft, like cozy, cuddle up, and, and be, um, be encouraged, but it's challenging. Um, and even studying it and preparing for it, I was just deeply challenged um, to let go of this pursuit of more. It's hard, really, really hard to do. Um, so all throughout James, we've been talking about the, the picture that James is a book that really is saying that our life will reveal our God. That everything we do, all that we are in our life, it'll show. Like, look at your life. Look at your social media statuses. Look at your bank account. Look at what you buy. Look at what you don't buy. The fruit of your life shows who your God is, who you worship, um, what you idolize. Uh, so it points back to faith. Now, James today is going gonna, is gonna to really highlight this picture of riches um, and the danger of riches and the danger of material possession. And he's going to point it back to the idea that it shows our God. It shows where our faith is and what we put our trust in. Um, now, this is the third time, what we're going to look at here in James uh, 5, it's the third time that James has actually tackled this topic. And so he feels it necessary there in that day with those individuals that he's reaching out to and speaking to, he felt it necessary to, we need to hit on this again. Um, but here's the, here's the challenge for us. How easy is it for you and for me to take the scriptures and come to the text and say, here's what I think, right? It's like, well, let me see what I think about this. But the challenge for us this morning is, what does God say? What does God say? And so that's kind of what I, wanna, what I want us to sit under this morning. Let's read together James chapter Five. It's going to go one through six is what we're going to tackle this morning. It says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You've lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You've fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. It's chipper text, isn't it? It's like, woo, let's jump in. This is joyful. Um, But I think that what's crazy about this text is that not only is it really harsh language and harsh words and like a great warning, 
Um, but I, I think that what James is doing is he's beckoning us to put our faith in who he says is where joy is found. Um, and so even this morning, um, this stark word that the pursuit of more is really this miserable pursuit. That as, as believers and as people, James is saying that a life of more is a life of misery. Because like, look at verse 1. What does he say? Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Okay, so think about that language, coming upon you. So there's this futuristic. So he's talking about um, end of end times, apocalyptic, end of the world type of scenario, really judgment day where it, it, the, the text, let's just read it as is, it says, the rich, what, will weep and howl. Now, probably not wolves, um, but those language, those words, if you go back to Old Testament prophetic words, those words were directly connected to the wicked's cry on judgment day. Okay, so James is arguing that as we think about this idea of riches, that the thing that will really damn anybody to hell is going to be the fact that they put their hope and their God in what they have, not in the one who gave them what they have. To the point that it's going to be evil and difficult. Now, Here's the struggle, right? Because we think about this idea of, of misery, the, the idea that the pursuit of much is really a pursuit of misery. Um, now, some of you might in your head be like, eh, I don't know if that's true, right? Because, like there, there's, something, um, there's something just really, really nice about like something nicer, right? There's something like joyful about a, a nicer car, a newer car, or like a nicer house, or man, you get a raise, and there's something that's like, this is great, you know, you buy nicer clothes, or you like, th- just that pursuit, there, there's something about it, and maybe it's just me, but I think there's something about it that's like, yeah, like, there's fun here, there's joy here, I, I find fulfillment here, but you know what Jesus says is that actually what that fulfillment is, he calls it a consolation prize. A consolation prize. Let me, let me show you. Luke, uh, 20, Luke 6. He says, But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. So in in high school, playing sports, college playing sports, um, if you're not familiar, they have this trophy or this prize called the consolation prize. And really, if I could sum up what a consolation prize is, it's like, like the best loser, right? So if it, typically, like, uh, it was always fifth place, right? And so if you got fourth place, like, uh, you know, you did better than fifth place, but you still lose, so, but you don't get a trophy, I guess because you lose your last game, I don't know what that is, but like, fourth place doesn't get a trophy, but fifth place gets a trophy, the consolation prize, you know, it's like you go up front to get your prize, and you're like, I don't know, should I be happy here? Because, like, we didn't get first or second or third or fourth, but we got a trophy, but fourth didn't. Um, <laughs> Jesus says, woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. What is he saying? He's saying the, the pursuit of stuff 
Like, there's a prize in it. Like, let's be honest. Like, there's something about it. But what he's saying is, he's saying, you know, hold up that, your, your great couch, or hold up your, like, jewelry, or hold up your pursuit of money, or whatever it is. And that's where you're putting your hope? Here you go. Here's your prize. And what is he saying? Is he saying that inherently are any of those things wrong? No. What he's saying is, is the danger of those things becoming what satisfies and the hopeful pursuit of your life and your heart. Because what does that passage say in Luke 6? We'll be full now, but later we'll be hungry. It just doesn't do it. It doesn't do it. We'll laugh now. This is awesome now. There'll come a day when we mourn and we weep. So Jesus and his half-brother together really are building out this picture. Don't pursue satisfaction and laughter now at the expense of what will be hunger and weeping later. Um, Look at this passage in Philippians 4. It says this, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I, I don't know about you, but sometimes I don't trust that. Even now reading it, I'm like, no, I, it's more about me supplying the need. and more about me meeting the need of my heart and the need of my life rather than recognizing God wants to supply your need. God wants to meet your need. Now, I don't know about you, but the tendency to read this passage and be like, man, I am glad I'm not rich. Right? I mean, I read that like, woe to you rich. And you're like, the last word I would use to describe my picture is rich. Um, it's interesting because that whole idea is pretty relative. Um, so if Time Magazine, I looked up some statistics, Time Magazine. Um, so let's see what, who would say they're rich and who would say they're not rich. Um, so of those with, that have investable ats, assets worth more than $1 million, $1 million to $5 million, only 28% answered yes to the question, do you consider yourself wealthy? It's like $5 million. Like if you had $5 million, would you say I'm wealthy? Like only 28% would say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm wealthy. Okay, now, now then, then they step it up. Five million dollars or more, only 60% said, I'm wealthy. How about you? But if I, if I had millions in the bank, um, I'd probably say I'm fairly wealthy. But you know, what's, you know what's even crazier is they asked those individuals who said, no, I'm, I don't consider myself rich, what would be like the thing that would make them say, okay, I am? Here, here was their answer. No financial constraint on activities. Like they, if I got to the point where I had no financial constraint, like it's like I can play as long as I want and as much as I want and the money just never runs out, then I'd say I'm rich. Well, of course, right? Of course. Now, Here's, here's the crazy thing is that 
I'm just going to tell you and me, you're rich. You might not have millions, but let's just put it into perspective here. So the median household income in the U.S. is around $52,000. That income, if you make that, it puts you in the top 1% of earners worldwide. It's crazy. 1% of the population has almost the same amount of money as the rest of the 99% combined. 80% of the world lives on less than $10 a day. Like, that's like lunch, right? It's like, like go to, go to um, Subway and get a footlong and chips and a drink, and it's like 10 something. 8% of the world lives on less than that a day. The median household income for, for global population is less than $10,000 a year. More than one-third of the world lives on less than $2 a day. It's crazy. Hey, how many of you own a car? You know 9%, only 9% of people in the world own a car. You are rich. We are people that are rich. And I think that the concern even for James and what he's saying here, and even thinking about what it looks like to be Americans that have much at our disposal. Um, and I don't in any way want to paint a picture that that's evil. Like I don't in any way want to, want to shame you or make you feel like, um, well, I should feel bad because I live in America and I have money to own a car. No, I'm not saying that at all. Um, but... James, as he's saying in that day, but I think even the challenge for us today is to guard against this pursuit of the, not only the American dream, but the idea that even being people who live in America, we don't have a lot of needs because we're people that are rich. And the challenge for us this morning is to believe in a God who says, I want to supply your need. Don't buy into the lie that you can buy your way to happiness. I want to supply your need. Look at verse 2. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. That's so encouraging. You've laid up treasure in the last days. Like, isn't the, isn't the lure of... like? Riches, isn't it, um, isn't it striking? Like how much like when you get what you wanted, all of a sudden there comes a point when you just, that's just not good enough. Like you remember the days of like dial up internet? You hear the sound? I'm not going to try to do it because I'll make a fool of myself. Whatever it is. Dialogue. Like, remember Juno, it would log you on long enough to send that email and then it would log you off. Okay, and now we're like, this stupid phone won't load my Twitter feed fast enough. Okay, now I'm, I'm not in any way against technological advances. Like, much of that is a gift. And I believe there'll be technological advances on the new earth. Okay, but oftentimes what we come down to is those things become a God to us. They become a ruling agent that govern our hearts and govern our lives. And we just never find contentment. Never. 
Paul puts it this way in, in Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, when he says, as for, riches in this pres- as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches. Like, you could wake up tomorrow and it'd all be gone. Right? I mean, U.S. Bank is good, but it could all be gone. We even got somebody who works for U.S. Bank in the room. Didn't even plan that. Charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So here's God who wants to say, don't settle for your consolation prize. Okay, Run to me and let me be the one that provides for you. Don't put your hope in the things that only is going to be the biggest loser prize. Put your hope in me. I want to provide you with everything to enjoy. So here's what it becomes. It becomes that new couch. It becomes that new car. It becomes that new house. It becomes whatever that is. That is a means to bubbling up into worship. Right? Like you got you to weigh that out in your heart with the Lord. Okay? Th- that those things, those pursuits can be a means of worship. And in a second, we're talking about what it looks like to live with gratitude and giving away. And how to benefit and bless our relationships rather than ruin them. That's the dance. That's the balance. That's the, we need the Spirit of God to come upon us. Because here's the danger. What's the verbiage that he used? Corrosion. Isn't that just such a beautiful picture? Don't you just love when things corrode? I'm sure somebody has some art antique thing you corroded the last week and put in your living room and it's like beautiful. And, um, but James is saying, don't let riches corrode your soul. Don't let riches corrode your soul. So let me give you this example. So for Christmas... A couple years back, I got this really cool mouse. Um, anybody know what this is called? Magic mouse. Now, th- these things are pretty slick. Um, because not only is it like wireless, you don't have that wire that plugs in. I know we haven't had those for years. Um, but you don't have that wire that plugs in. It's like Bluetooth. And so it moves around like a mouse, but then the top of it is like a trackpad. Right, so you can like two fingers, three fingers, I don't know, toes, whatever, and it does weird, crazy things, thanks to Steve, and uh, it's pretty amazing. So I got one of these for Christmas, 80 bucks, I mean, that's, that's quite expensive, it's a nice little gift, 80 bucks, and so I used it for a long time, and then it ended up in my bag, and I kind of, uh, for some reason, hadn't been using it, forgot about it, uh, I know, sorry, some of you think I need to repent of that, um, but, uh, <laughs> and so I pull it out of my bag, and I go to use it, and like nothing. Well, can't we invent these things where they just always work forever and you don't have to, okay, it needs a new battery. So I open it up, pop it open, and it's just all corroded. Just disgusting. And I look at it, I'm just like, because oh. I have to confess my idolatry for Apple sometimes. Um, and, and so I take the batteries out and I'm like, you know, like, stick a toothbrush in there and get this thing like, it's, it won't work. Put new batteries in it. It ruined it. It ruined it. 
Um, now, I'm sure you could think of many different examples or toys or different things you have around your house where that's happened. This is the picture that James is using because you can have this beautiful exterior, but actually the inside is ruined. It's ruined. This is the picture that James is painting about riches corroding our soul. That actually, from the inside out, they, they will ruin us. They will ruin. They will destroy us. And he says, this will be evidence against you. Evidence. Okay? So, like, the evidence of your life. That at the end of the day, at the, at the judgment that shows you never truly trusted Christ, you never, your, your life doesn't show the evidence of God's transforming work in your heart. That's the argument James is making in chapter 2. Okay? That selfish pursuits will testify against you at the final judgment that will say, you never were a worshiper of God. You, you had some really, really nice stuff, and you prettied up yourself religiously really, really well, but the heart of who you are was corroded and wicked because you never let Christ change it. You tried to change it. But I think this, this evidence against you also speaks to the bondage that riches does. Like when you live for the pursuit of stuff and money and you begin to define, I begin to define my worth and my value based on my monetary stuff or my bank account or like what I have, it's bondage. It's bondage that will cripple us. And one of my good friends, as I was talking about this with him, he said, it's really living a subhuman life where we make life and our worth about our stuff and not about relationships. And it's proved by this picture that James has painted when we stockpile, right? Get as much as I can. Get as much as I can. And it lacks a sense of generosity and outflow Because the truth is, get as much as you can. Make as much money as you can. Why? And so you can advance the kingdom of God. Not advance your own agenda. Man, build the best businesses. Do the best things that you possibly can in the world financially and monetarily. Why? So you can at the end of the day say, look at me. Look at what I did. So at the end of the day, you can bless and give Look at verse 4. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept backed by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters had reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You've lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You've fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You've condemned and murdered the righteous person he does not resist you. I, I, love this, I love this picture of corrosion that we talked about and how it ties into this for several reasons. Um, but it, what's interesting about this picture of, like when you think about corrosion, I want to channel this into talking about relationships, is you, you never set out to like ruin things. Like to, I just want things to corrode and be ruined. Right? Like you don't set out to just, I want to destroy my relationships. But th- that's, that's where James 
begins to talk about is how our riches affect our relationship, right? When you become so self-serving and so desiring to live luxurious, it's like that somebody comes and does some work for you, and you're like, how can I, like, cheat them out and not pay them what they're worth? Like, that's the illustration that's used here. Like, workers in the field, and they've been, like, fraud and taken advantage of, to exploit the weak. Because with, with, with money becomes power. And with power, we have choices to bless or to curse, to do good or to do harm. And this idea of exploiting others, life really becomes a competition. And it's like, if I can see if I can win, see if I can get more and build the better for myself, so that in the end, I would have the victory. And here's the, here's the statement that James is saying to us. Don't let your riches ruin your relationships. Now, I could probably ask every single one of you to, to tell me a story about something regarding money affecting relationships. Okay? I mean, you, you go do the studies. One of the, one of the top factors in divorce has to do with financial issues, has to do with money, family stress, and life struggle, has to do with money, and James is arguing, listen, don't let riches ruin your relationships. Like, I've heard stories of, like, people on their deathbed and, like, like inheritance just ruining, ruining families. Because of the fight over dad's money, over grandpa's money, over mom's money. Riches can ruin our relationships. Or they can be a means to serve and to bless and to give and to do great things. Employers, do you pay people what they're worth and what they deserve? Employees, are you honest with what you have? Look at verse 5. If there's ever been a convicting verse to read, you've lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your heart in the day of slaughter. Did you know that Jesus, in the Gospels, he's talking and he uses this illustration and he says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? It's because riches have ruined relationship. Like Jesus is using that statement to argue that it's about relationship. First and foremost, relationship with God. Secondly, relationship with others. And that in the end, at the judgment, when we stand before God, what he's looking at is relationship. Relationship with God. And then the evidence of that relationship with God will be evidenced by how we relate with others, and that includes how we bless and how we serve and how we give, and not letting riches ruin 
our relationships. I love the end of that, end of that verse, by the way, because it says it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And somebody comes back to him and says, like, well, then it's impossible. And what does Jesus say? With God, all things are possible. So what does that mean? It's saying it's the work of God to do the miraculous, to change our hearts, to pursue him and see all that he entrusts to us as a means to lift him up and make much of him and serve and bless others. That's a miracle. So let me just say this. To the extent that you have much, And to the extent that God's entrusted much to you and you see your life mission as a means to serve and bless and give, let's just be clear. That's a miracle God's done in your heart. Okay, we can pat ourselves on the back and say, man, I I try to do the best I can with what I have. And man, I just love to give. That's a miracle God's done in your heart. in the saving work that he's done and is doing in you. So let's entrust that to him. Entrust that to him. I love what John Calvin says on this topic. He says, God has appointed gold. God has not appointed gold for rust nor garments for moth, but on the contrary, he's designed them as aids and helps to human life aids and helps to human life. That would be people that give and serve and bless and see all that God gives to us. And some of you are so brilliant financially and business-minded. Man, use that, use that, use that for the glory of God. That's why he's given it to you. That's why he's entrusted you with it. To use it for the glory of God, not for your own gain. And listen, it's going to take faith for you to believe that using it for the glory of God is going to bring you more joy than using it just to gain more for yourself and even for your family. I want, I want to wrap up with, with an illustration that I want to set up with this verse from 1 Timothy. Because I think that one of the ways that we can combat the struggle to, to believe that, that riches are the answer is to look at what happens to people that gain riches um, and then just believe the truth of Scripture. But First Timothy 6, 9 says this, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. So, I did some poking around on the internet, and everything you find on the internet is true, so I'm going to give you some of those things. Um, Sports Illustrated said that 78% of former NFL players will bankrupt within two years of retirement. That's baffling. 78% of NFL players within two years of retiring go bankrupt. Um, Some other maybe well-known, maybe not so well-known People, um, former MLB player Kurt Schilling, uh, he earned just over 114 million during his 19-year career. Okay, after retiring, he sunk 50 million into a company that he tried to start a video game company, and then he lost all that he had to bankruptcy in 2012, and he had to sell like everything he had to cover his 
business to the, that bankruptcy. Mike Tyson, does that name sound familiar? 20-year career. You know how much he made? $400 million. I can't even get my mind around that. According to New York Times, in 2003, the former heavyweight champion filed for bankruptcy with a total of $23 million in debt. Michael Jackson. Even before his death in 2009, the king of pop was recognized as the most successful entertainer of all time by Guinness Book of World Records. In 2007, Jackson filed for bankruptcy after not being able to pay back a $25 million loan on his home, the Neverland Ranch, that he purchased in 88 for the price of $17 million. It had grounds containing a zoo, an amusement park, a movie theater, a railroad line, a helicopter pad, and it even had its own fire department. It reportedly cost more than $10 million a year just to maintain it. He eventually filed bankruptcy. MC Hammer, best known for his 1990 hit, Can't Touch This, earned more than $30 million in the early 90s after purchasing a $12 million mansion with a paid staff of 200 along with a 40-plus person entourage, he soon found himself unable to support his luxurious lifestyle. And in 1996, he filed bankruptcy with $13 million in debt. Now, you say, why, would, why do you tell us all that? Because I'm praying that God would do a work in our spirits this morning to remind us where our hope is at. To believe the lie that your worth and your identity, that my worth and my identity is not found in my bottom line. It's not found in what I can get for myself, in the car you drive, in the house you live in, in the community that you live in. Our worth as People is found in the fact that we can have an identity in Jesus Christ and in Christ are found all the pleasures of the world. And listen, everything you face on a daily basis is throwing at you the fact that that's a lie. And God's saying, we believe it this morning. Ephesians 1, 7 says this, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. God's rich in grace. And he wants to lavish it upon us that we would find our ultimate joy in him. Let's pray as we prepare to respond to the Lord. God, it is difficult to submit ourselves to the truth of, of what we've heard this morning. Lord, we're people that want stuff. We're people that struggle to believe the truth about our identity and our worth and the fact that it's not tied up in what we have or the job we have or how much money we make or what we drive or where we live. God, we struggle to believe that. 
God, I struggle to believe that because I want more. I believe the hope is in more. I believe the hope is in the next thing. I believe the hope is in the better thing. So God, I pray that you would miraculously do a work of transforming our hearts to make it about relationship, first and foremost with you, secondly with others. And that you would guard us this morning from living a life of luxury and self-indulgence. And that you would lead us to be people that are rich in grace because you've richly lavished your grace on us. And God, we love you. And I just pray that you would you'd miraculously lead us. In Christ's name, amen.